0: Hello and welcome to today's episode on the podcast. Before I bring our fabulous guest expert in, who is going to really help us get into the nitty gritty of what we can do when we can't sleep, when we can't fall asleep, when it perhaps is become a recurrent pattern that we wake up at three o'clock in the morning and we can't get back to sleep. And yeah, she's incredible and I can't wait to welcome her in. But before we do so, I want to say a huge heartfelt thank you to every single medical professional doctor, nurse, oncologist, surgeon who has been on the podcast with me so far, because we've managed to go out weekly with weekly episodes for nearly a year. So we're celebrating our one year of the menopause and cancer podcast soon. And I couldn't obviously do this without the amazing help of all the experts. I think they're all incredible. They're giving me their time for free. And sometimes a lot of work goes into preparing for a podcast episode. And every time I open my email inbox and another medical professional says, yes, I'm happy to have a chat and conversation with you on the podcast. I have to pinch myself that A, they'd say yes, but also I'm ever so grateful and I feel really humble that they give us not just their precious time, but also they really, really want to help us all to have a better menopause experience. And all of them are with us in saying there is definitely a gap somewhere and we're not talking about it near enough as we should be talking about it. And we're all starting to realise where these gaps are and how they can be filled there are so many oncology centers and clinics and setups where it works so beautifully. And I speak to so many amazing clinical nurse specialists to do such a good job. And I can't thank you enough. You're all just amazing people and you're all just amazing. And at the same time, I know so many of our community of women say they just haven't had the help and they just haven't had the support. And I guess it's sort of bringing the two together a little bit. I know there is only so much we can do with the podcast and there is only so much you'll be able to take away from it. But I get letters sometimes from people saying that the episodes have been life changing and totally helped them transform what they know and what they maybe can do about some of their really persisting and stubborn symptoms. And that's exactly what I want to do with today's episode on the podcast. I've invited Dr. Zoe Shadale onto the podcast. She's a real powerhouse of a woman. She's been a GP for over 15 years. She's then gone off to found the Good Sleep Clinic together with her sister, which is an amazing clinic that really helps people with insomnia. She's also a menopause expert and specialist, and she trains other doctors to become menopause specialists so she's accredited in the British Menopause Society and she's here today to talk to us about what you can do for all of your stubborn sleep problems I've accumulated loads of questions beforehand so we can really methodically work out if there is even hope if um, you've fallen into that really bad habit of maybe not falling asleep well or it might take you ages or you wake up at three o'clock in the morning and um Yeah, I'm really excited. And again, Zoe is one of those women who's always, in the many years I've known her now, always been supportive of my project, always been helpful and always has got women's health and the health of the individual at the core of everything she does. And she's incredible. Hello, Zoe. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's a pleasure to be here. Lovely to see you, Danny. So we want to talk about sleep, and you are the sleep expert, and (laughs) I have come across what you and your amazing sister do many years ago when we spoke about, I think we recorded something, didn't we, for my normal, I'm going to put my fingers up into sort of brackets, my normal perimenopausal and menopause audience. That's right. But today... We want to talk about sleep once we've had a cancer diagnosis. Yeah. and Tell me is... a bit about you and what yeah. you do every day and tell everyone about the amazing things you do. Sure. sure.
1: So my background is as a GP. I'm really, I've always been a women's health GP and I've always wanted to look at things really holistically and look at the way that our emotions and our mood and what we think and what we do affect how we feel and throughout this journey i kept coming up against sleep as being a really common problem and actually just in my you know in my day stage gp surgeries i would come across sleep and i would bring out the kind of toolbox of things that we have in general practice and just find that they didn't work and it really frustrated me because i felt like there's something i'm just not getting here i'm sure that somewhere they know how to do this better and so i undertook some sort of specialist sleep training and spent a lot of time sitting in, uh, we have a local specialist centre for sleep. And what I found out was completely what I didn't expect. So I thought there would be some fantastic medications, there would just just be things I didn't know about, that you could just fix people's sleep like that. But what I found out was that firstly, even in sleep centres, menopause and women's health issues weren't well understood. And I didn't think women were getting the advice that they needed in the menopause for sleep. But also, there's so much more to sleep. And it's often about changing the way we look at it, what we're doing, what we're thinking. And I just found it absolutely fascinating and really wanted to take that back to help my patients. And um, so I set up the Good Sleep Clinic with my sister, who's a specialist sleep psychologist. And so for, for a number of years now, we've been running the Good Sleep Clinic really to give people access to treatments that work for sleep problems so they're made mostly psychological treatment but alongside all this I'm also a menopause specialist and of course um, I also work as a menopause specialist for Myla health and in the NHS I do work as a GP and in all of those settings I am really trying to help people with their menopause symptoms but also
0: their sleep mm. and that's why I think it is so relevant for us to listen to you today because not only have you got this, like you say, you went on this personal quest to find more out about sleep, but you're also this highly trained menopause specialist and really understand women. And I know a lot of the people in your team have so much experience with working with um, women who've had a cancer diagnosis. Absolutely. And sleep
1: is a big problem for people that have had a cancer diagnosis. So for women in the menopause, for whatever reason, we think there's sort of 50-60% of, of women describe poor sleep, or disturbed sleep, insomnia symptoms. But if you've had cancer and, and you're in the menopause, the numbers are even higher. So it's about 70 to 80%. So nearly everyone's sleep is disturbed at some point through the journey, whether it's you know, after diagnosis, during treatment, but quite often it's it's kind of in that time afterwards that sleep remains disturbed and it doesn't snap back. You know, when the treatment's meant to be over, it just sort of seems to be this lingering problem for so many women.
0: Yeah. And then I listen to lots of other people's podcasts and sleep often comes up. And and, and then I'm often really quite worried because they would say, well, if you don't sleep, everything else goes out the window. Like if you don't have good sleep, then whatever you eat or however much you exercise won't make much of a difference because of how your body works. And there's so much pressure to sleep well. And there's almost a bit of a fear and worry and anxiety associated by not sleeping well, regardless of you being really knackered as well. And I just walked away from a workshop a couple of days ago. And one woman said, I I just wake up in the middle of the night. And other women said, "Well, I just can't fall asleep." So it's there's a lot to poor sleep. Can you explain a little bit what your yeah, patients and I,
1: say to you? Absolutely. And I think going back to what you said about um, if you you know you listen to things about how important sleep is, I think it's brilliant that we're having more conversations about sleep now, and we know that it does us lots of good, and and that's all great. But what it doesn't help with is if you can't sleep, and then actually it really passes the pressure on. I think the conversation saying. How important sleep is, is brilliant if you're someone that's too, you know, you go to bed too late and, you know, you're working too hard. And actually, it's about saying to those people, look, it's a good idea to try and try and get better sleep. But if you're someone that's really trying to sleep and you can't, it just is really scary to hear about all those things. And you think, well, if I can't sleep, then am I not going to you know have all those benefits that sleep can bring? And I think it's really unhelpful to be, you know, to be listening to all that and to hear that in those situations. And I think we've got to remember that humans are actually designed to have long periods of time where they don't sleep. So we can adapt if you think about having babies. And if you think about other sort of times in life and throughout evolution, we will be okay if we have a period of time. But it's about then looking at what the problem is. And like you say, it's so different for everybody. And this is where You know, it's really difficult to say these sleep hacks will work and these top five things that you do. And if you just don't drink caffeine, all your problems will be solved. And I really don't like that because everybody's a bit different. And and some people will struggle with falling asleep at the beginning of the night. Some people will wake up in the night. And for some people, there's an obvious trigger. And it might be symptoms. They might be waking with pain or with hot flashes or night sweats. Or they know that when they get into the bed, their mind is racing. Feeling really anxious, and so I think it's really about every individual having that opportunity to talk to their doctor about it and see what is it that's going on. And sometimes you just don't know; it's just out of the blue. You know, you wake for no good reason. But one of the things I see with women in the menopause, but particularly after cancer treatment, is kind of acceptance that this is the way it is now. That somehow their ability to sleep has been taken from them. You know, and that's it. Like I just can't sleep anymore. And I would really like to try and challenge that idea a bit. That even if, even if the cancer or the treatment or something set off a sleeping problem, that's often not what keeps it going. So there's a difference between what sets it off and what keeps a sleep problem going. And I think don't don't think that just because you know you're on a treatment that's going to cause the problem that there's nothing you can do because often. If you just get into the details around it a bit and make some changes, there is a lot that can be done to
0: reset your sleep. Wow. So I love the fact that there is absolute hope. Right. But it's also a little bit worrying what you said very early on in the conversation when you said I was hoping there'd just be this little magic pill that, sets, that gets us all back off to a wonderful slumber. So I'm sort of guessing it's not as easy. It's very individual. And at the same time, there is hope, which is great. So let's do this. Let's. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we
1: would all really like that. And we'd all love there to be, you know, one thing that would just solve the problem. And I think, I think maybe there will be one day, but there isn't right now. And what that means is we just have to look at why sleep goes wrong for people. Uh, and as I said, there's lots of different triggers. So we do talk about these triggers. And so, you know, if you, you're thinking not about trans or menopause, just stress, that can trigger a sleep problem or sleeping in a different bed, or you know, all those things can be triggers to bad sleep. But then what happens is our brains are very, very good at learning. And they, we just think of them like learning machines, they're always learning and shortcutting and trying to take the easy way. And, and when we stop sleeping well for whatever any of these triggers it's very easy for the brain to get into a new habit and a kind of and then we just get used to that and we're kind of stuck there but what we need to do is to break those habits and just go right back in and reprogram things often that can just set things back on the right path and I think that's the thing often people who aren't sleeping well will have made changes in the things they do, their sleep timings, the way they feel and think about sleep. And all of those contribute to this experience of not being able to sleep. There is something called cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. And that is one example, the way that we can approach things to really try to reset these things, to look at the thoughts, to look at the behaviors and what's happening around sleep. And often it's just making a few practical changes and it can really get things on the right path
0: again. So do you feel you have had with the strategies you have implemented for many years that you've had good success? Is there real is there a real good success quota? I mean, it must be harder to sort of quantify it and perhaps taking a medication that helps with your hot flushes because it's very, you know. Do well, you feel it's- there are lots of studies that have been done and. Um, So when you look at, so we're
1: really talking about insomnia. So there's lots of different sleep problems. But if you're someone that struggles to fall asleep at the beginning of the night and you or you wake up in the middle of the night and you can't go back to sleep. If that happens often and it happens for more than three months, we can usually diagnose that as insomnia. And so with insomnia, there are lots of studies that have been done that show if you use something like cognitive behavioral therapy. Actually, you can recover from that insomnia in seventy to eighty percent of cases, and certainly that's the sort of numbers that we see at the Good Sleep Clinic. Certainly, sometimes a bit higher because it's quite intensive one-to-one treatment. So it is, you know, absolutely and even. And I bet there are people thinking, "Yep, I'm on a medication, or you know, I'm on tamoxifen, or you know, letrozole, or something. I'm having hot flushes It always wakes me up." And even in that situation, there's lots you can do to help so it doesn't take away necessarily those hot flushes or night sweats or pain but what it can really do is help you cope with those wakings and make them much less disruptive and perhaps get back to sleep quicker get more sleep but also feel differently about it and know that you know if you have a few wakings in the night that you'll be okay and it just sort of dilutes down the significance the distress around it and that's what we're really trying to do
0: Wow. Because really, everything you're talking about are practical, I guess, small changes. Um, you need to be persistent with those. And I'm sure we'll get into those in a moment so that you can change your sleep patterns, sleep behavior, and set yourself off on the right track. In none of what you're saying, you don't talk about medication as an aid before that. Is that because? You have found it doesn't really work as well or you just don't use these strategies. Sometimes people write in our Facebook community, they talk about melatonin or sleeping tablets. Have you gone off these or do you not use these or what? I
1: think we have to be really open minded with our toolkit. And so I think we have to look at everything we've got got available to us. And for an individual, you know, there's all sorts of things that we might try. But there are different types of medications that we have. Um, and the ones that you think of as kind of sleeping pills, and they're the kind of sedative, hypnotic tablets that kind of help you get to sleep, they've got issues with them. So although they can work in the short term, they're only really good to be used in the short term. So there will be definitely situations where, where we use those, but they don't solve those problems that we talked about. They don't, they don't get right. things back on track, for people, very often. And Mm. so they're great in a crisis. And if you're having a terrible time, you know, there's definitely something that you would want to use. But for long for sleep problems that go on and on, they're just not very effective, they stop working. And if you use them in the long term, they can have some problems. So I would never say never, you know, you've got to treat everyone as an individual, but they're just not a great, great treatment. And the guidelines don't put them first either the guidelines say try something else first, because they're not as effective. And that the That benefits don't last once you stop them so there's those there are some medications that can kind of do a number of things at once so there are some antidepressants they can really help with people who are who are really anxious um, and that gets in the way of sleep and we see that a lot you know particularly if you've had treatment for cancer those kind of anxious thoughts coming up um, can really get in the way of sleep. So sometimes an antidepressant can be really useful and there are particular ones that are great for sleep. So I definitely will use that if they're appropriate for somebody. But even those are not as effective as the kind of cognitive behavioral approach that we can use. So that's why I don't talk about them first. But I would always yeah. have you know, a really open mind and, and, and a toolkit with melatonin. It's a very popular sleep aid. So people talk about using melatonin all the time, but it isn't actually very effective at treating insomnia. So we wish it was um, because it's quite a safe thing to use, but it doesn't actually do what we want it to do. So melatonin is something we produce in our brains ourselves. And really, it's not about making you fall asleep. It's about setting the timing of your sleep. So it helps you to say, right, this is now the time for sleep. and we have kind of pulses of melatonin that that help us uh, sort of get get ready for for bedtime and sleep, but that's all it does. It's not a sedative. It doesn't make you drop off, and so we don't find it a very effective treatment. And I suppose also because of the type of uh, women that I see, pretty much all of them have tried these things already. You know, they've exactly. all tried melatonin. They've all tried magnesium. So I see people that they definitely haven't worked for. So that's why I don't really recommend and I I don't mention so much.
0: Mm. Because I speak to lots of women who say I've tried the no caffeine after three o'clock, I don't have my hot teas now. I tried the no screens from five o'clock in the afternoon. I tried to open the blinds as soon as I wake up, like, you know, people hear that it's important to bring daylight into your body even in the morning and that having a positive impact people say I really try and have that cozy time in bed like not watch too much telly people try so many things and then they still struggle
1: yeah
0: and then they say I just wake up at three o'clock in the morning and I just can't fall back asleep and from what I hear from you we have to put a little bit of work in to turn that round and sometimes we're so Blooming exhausted (laughs) with everything that's gone on, it would just be much easier to take a little pill. But I'm hearing from you that we have to go on a little bit of a journey of doing this, isn't it? Yeah. So talk us through what that could be. What could that mean? Like, how can I turn it round? Yeah. So um, you're absolutely right. There are all these
1: things that they've got different terms, but you can call them sleep hygiene or sleep habits. Yes. And people really do try when you're not sleeping. You Google what you can do and you look up all these tips and they're all really sensible. So, you know, all these things are great. You know, it's really great to limit your caffeine and it's really great to let light in in the morning. But I think we've got to remember those are good for healthy sleep, making healthy sleep better. But they are not an appropriate treatment if you have a sleep disorder like insomnia. So, there's never been any evidence ever that sleep hygiene, like making those changes, will get your insomnia better. So I think it's really about who we're targeting them for. And often, people who are struggling with their sleep will start to feel like a failure, like there's nothing that will work. I've tried these 25 things in a day, but those things aren't designed to treat insomnia or sleep problems. And I think that's the message I'd really love to get out is if you are struggling, seek help with something that could work for you, You know, that really could work. Those things are still important and I don't want, you know, it's not a good idea to be having caffeine right before bed, but it's about looking at other things. And and I think the way that we would approach it is, and and cognitive behavioural therapy for insomnia is a specific programme. It's not the only programme, but it's the one that we use the most. And the idea is that you look at both the behaviours and the cognitions and the thinking processes and it's very different from CBT for other things. So there's CBT for depression, and CBT for anxiety, and CBT for medical symptoms even. You can have CBT for all these things. But the insomnia treatment program is really practical and very, very specific. It's very step by step. You kind of get told what to do and you can
0: kind of follow a path depending on
1: the kind of problems you're having. Now, I like that, because once you're
0: told what to do, you stop faffing about, because when I do my own research, I do five days of sleep hygiene, then it doesn't work, and then I give up, and then it's like, well, it's rubbish, it didn't work for me. Or I try these herbal medications that I bought in Holland and Barrett's for a week, and then I forget to take them every day, and then I go, well, they didn't really work for me. But (laughs) when someone puts you on a plan, or you get your herbal medication from a herbal medicalist, then I... Take them, as I'm told, when you put a plan together for me, I most likely follow it rather than sort of just doing something I've put myself together on Google, isn't it? That's Absolutely. good. I like a plan. What's yeah, the plan? it is really <laughs> like that.
1: And I think and again, it will obviously depend on, on every yes, individual what that plan is. Yeah. But I think, for example, you talked about waking up at two in the morning and I think there is no time you need a plan more than in the early hours of the morning because it is so hard to think great think logically know what to do you just feel awful and so for instance if you were someone that was waking up in the early hours of the morning there's things that you can do in the daytime so firstly we would think about what it's like being up in the early hours of the morning and is it a time when you are feeling anxious or worried and we would look at what those thoughts were and you know it's quite often you look at the clock and think well I've only got five hours and I've got to be up and I've got to do this tomorrow and I've got to do that Or, you know, it's a time you can really ruminate and have some quite catastrophic thinking. And I think part of CBTI is really educating people about what happens with our brains in the middle of the night as well. So in the middle of the night, things feel much worse, don't they? It is a time where problems you could solve in the day, you just can't work your way through them at night. And it's It's not um, it's not coincidence. It's actually the way our brain works is different at night. It's really driven by the amygdala, that kind of really primitive part of the brain that feels anxiety. And in that's so interesting. Yeah. The whole prefrontal cortex just is lazy. It doesn't even activate.
0: It can't give us that logical functioning of our brain in the way it would in the daytime because daytime worries are catastrophic for me at three o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Like so catastrophic. It is the end. Yeah, there is, absolutely. And they go on and on. And I cannot, there's no switch in me. I can't turn it off.
1: Yeah.
0: And it's so such a scary place. And the whole world seems to be asleep. And then yeah, it's very lonely. Yeah. But the next day, it's really lonely. Yeah. I yeah. know it's irrational, but that doesn't help me when I'm in the moment. It doesn't at all. So you do a bit of education
1: around what's actually going on with the brain, but it's not you, this is the way your brain is set up. But then you start to make a plan of the things that would help with that. And we can't So what you can't do is you can't stop the thoughts coming. So, you know, actually, just tr- say to yourself, I'm not going to think about this, it will make the thoughts come even more. So it's about working out ways that the thoughts can be less powerful. And we can sort of Practice distracting from the thoughts, observing the thoughts, distancing ourselves from those thoughts and perhaps build into our toolkit some techniques that we can use in the early hours of the morning that will help us with that. So some examples would be um, things like mindfulness and meditation. And it wouldn't be something you'd want to practice in the early hours of the morning. It's about doing it in the daytime and really that's about learning to be in the present moment, observe our thoughts in a really non-judgmental way. So you can see them there, those worries, but they don't, they don't make you feel that way, that awful way. Mm. Because of course, when your body and your brain is in that awful catastrophic state, sleep is never going to come. Mm. So it's really about bringing down this kind of alert, this really heightened anxiety that sets off all those stress hormones and things like that. So things like things like mindfulness can be good to practice in the day, but also getting some really clear strategies. of So what exactly are you going to do at two o'clock when you wake up? So it might be you might get up and go to the bathroom if you're having hot flushes. You might we might build some techniques in about really cooling you down, you know, putting your feet on cold floor. What's going to really help bring that temperature down? And then you might think things sort of a a sort of pattern of thoughts. So firstly, are you someone who might be able to do a bit of mindfulness at that time and just see if that could bring things down a little bit in your body? Or are there other strategies that might be helpful just as a kind of next step if you feel that you're not going to get back to sleep? And sometimes things like visualizations can be amazing. So our brain works very, very quickly with words. But images really help to slow the thinking down. So I often, I mean, this is actually what I do myself if I'm awake in the middle of the night. But I take myself on a a walk or a journey and think that through in great detail. So You know, what what do things look like? What do things smell like? What What are the leaves like under my feet? Or what's the sea like? Or whatever it is. And really, it's trying to just disentangle yourself from your own thoughts. Distract yourself. Kind of move yourself away. And it helps the body to really sort of tone down that kind of heightened arousal or alertness. And if that doesn't work, there is another technique that we we use, which is actually getting out of bed. And then, out of bed I know I know it's so hard and I, I really <laughs> recognize everyone reacts like that because so what
0: I would have done is don't look at your phone don't turn the light yeah. on don't get out of bed just pretend you're asleep like I'm almost trying to fool myself into I'm not awake I'm not awake but clearly I am awake and I'm panicking and um and so I think my instinct would have been no, don't get out of bed because that would stimulate you even more yeah and I think the problem is while
1: you're lying there trying to fool yourself you're still really trying to sleep and what we find is that all efforts that you make to sleep and this is so counterintuitive because it's the only thing that you want to do but all the efforts that you make to sleep actually make it harder because your body and mind is so focused on doing something that level of alertness goes up and sleep is less likely to come we try and this is why this is a really cruel paradox. The okay. more we try to sleep, the harder it is. Because mm. people that sleep well, they just fall asleep, don't they? They're not putting any particular effort into it. No. And it's also often why, I don't know if you ever hear people say that, that when they they wake up at two in the morning and they can't, they're lying there all the time. And then they they do suddenly fall asleep at sort of five or six in the morning. And it's often because at that point they've just given up. They're gonna stop, they've realized they're not gonna get back to sleep. It's nearly gonna be work. And almost just that body, once it gives up, it just relaxes. And then you fall asleep at that time, exactly the time you don't want to be getting to sleep. So trying to sleep is something we we, we need to kind of move away from that. Wow. Put these other things in place. And although it sounds counterintuitive, it it can be really effective. Although I, uh, you know, I recognize it's really hard to do. You you know, if someone's had a difficult time.
0: It's a bit like reverse psychology, isn't it with the children don't eat the chocolate or don't yes. eat this piece don't eat this piece of apple and they will go for the apple, isn't it? It's a bit like that. So part of this plan that you would establish when you work with someone would be as soon as you realize you're not going to fall asleep, this is a pattern you know someone's been diagnosed with insomnia. this has been going on. I mean sometimes for years mm-hmm. years. I speak to women who say I have not slept properly in many, many years. Yes, to wake up and get out of that bedroom environment. Yeah. So
1: normally we say, and again, we don't want the clocks in the bedroom, you're absolutely right about that, but we'd say if you think it's been about 20 minutes and you've tried, you know, a few things and you feel like sleep isn't around the corner, get up. And again, this is something we really plan because it's very, very hard to do in the middle of the night when it's really cold and dark and um, so we say like okay where are you going to go you're going to go somewhere where there's dim lights but you're going to put something to do there it's going to be a nice space you know don't have any food but you could have a drink you can sit down read a book listen to a podcast look through you know a magazine or whatever and really it it does two main things one it, it stops you trying which is all part of it so we, we're, we're going to just move away from the trying but also it's trying to break this association that you build up between you, the bed yeah. and not sleeping. Yeah, I, I can see that. Because so many of us, you lie awake and actually loads of people that have got sleep problems really start hating the bedroom, hating the bed, thinking of it as just a place they go to worry and toss and turn. And, and that's part of the problem. Your body learns this is this really difficult place for you. And we really want to break that, that so actually... Yeah. We don't want people spending a lot of time awake in bed, fretting and trying to sleep. We really want you up out of your bed and just wait for that kind of sleepiness
0: to come. And then you go back, you know, try and see if, see if it's a bit more likely. You must have had some very funny stories that your patients told you what they're doing in the middle of the night. So what do they do? I'm intrigued. I can imagine this whole horde of menopausal women who've had a cancer diagnosis. (laughs) Yeah. What, knitting socks but doing all sorts of yes. things I don't
1: know uh, what you what doing. you absolutely do right. You're <laughs> right it's like there is a massive list but we, we sort of add to the list whenever we hear something new but sorting cutlery drawers um oh going yes photo albums folding ironing so we don't want work and we we don't want work things and we don't want anything that's too stim- stimulating like action movies or anything like that so, but actually Having something that is reasonably pleasant, not too stimulating, something that, you know, actually is not a bad thing, that you can just focus on a little bit. That's what you're looking for.
0: Mm, I mean, I can, you know, I could imagine I sort out the shoe drawers and yeah. there's loads of little jobs I could get done. Yeah. But then yeah. I can also imagine that I would then think, okay, I've done my little job, I've done as, you know, Zoe said, I've done my getting out of bed. I'm now trotting back into the bedroom. I can already sense my anxiety rising yeah. thinking am I going to manage now is this can I manage now so you then go back into bed try yeah. again basically yeah
1: yeah. Oh, yeah
0: so you would yeah you would and yeah. I mean in an ideal world
1: you would wait to start feeling that kind of sleepiness so we look for those sleepiness cues mm-hmm. but lots of people who've had this problem for a long time have really disconnected from that sense of sleepiness like I have some patients that never really feel sleepy they don't, just don't get that signal But if you do get those signals, that's the time to go. You want to kind of learn to feel that again and go back to bed. But if you don't get those sleepiness cues, you know, you're going to pick a time, you're going to go back and you're just going to see how it goes. And again, you would go through that same thing. So you would think about some of the techniques. So we think about diffusion techniques, try and set yourself away from your thoughts in some way. Um, So it might be mindfulness. You might listen to some of the sleep stories on the car map is really good. You know, Just something literally distracting in great detail. And you would just see if sleep comes. And again, it doesn't. You could then get up again. So it doesn't usually take long. So this is something that you would you would have someone practice for, you know, a week or two weeks. Um, And at the beginning, they might get up more than once in the night because they don't fall back sleep but over time it kind of resets the dial and it breaks a bit and it can be a really effective strategy
0: so it's a commitment tool you need commitment to do this if I commit to this you just said about two weeks is that how long if I really commit to it and I really give it my all and I do as I'm told and I follow my plan would it it, it's a matter of weeks
1: yeah so the, mm. the Cognitive Behavioural Therapy for Insomnia program is usually about six weeks in total. And that what I was talking about getting out of bed, that's just one of the components. So there, there's the thinking component. There's some timing components as well. But each week, so mm. normally by about six weeks, there has been a real improvement in sleep.
0: Wow. It may
1: not be go from, you know, four hours to eight hours in that time, but it usually gets things better and better over that time. To, and so it stops stops being so distressing
0: that's not actually that long because i know most doctors would say it takes a few weeks to find the effect of any medication whether it's an antidepressant or hormone replacement therapy it takes a while doesn't it yeah. for things to sort yeah. of kick in and so i guess the same would be with a strategy that you would apply
1: yeah Yeah. And I think, you know, I think the studies suggest six to eight weeks. Most courses don't go on any longer than eight weeks. So it really is that kind of time. I think it's different to a medication though, because it does need that kind of active change that you're making. And I think that it has to be done at the right time for you. So when you've just finished treatment and you're absolutely on your knees and you're exhausted, the thought of getting up out of bed is just not going to be possible. So it has to be done at the right time. And I think. I'd want to be really reassuring about, you know, until you're ready, although, you know, we'd love you to have more sleep, it's not going to harm you. You know, it is, it's okay to have these times where sleep's not good. And we we can survive that, okay. But then if there is a time where it feels like you're ready to embark on, you know, some something new after all that, but you can you've got the energy, you can do something, it can be really effective.
0: I think that is so key because sometimes we have so many sort of building blocks that need addressing and and sleep might not be sort of the the priority it might just be we we cope with it but actually yeah. some other symptoms might be more pressing at the moment or maybe like you said we have come out of you know active treatment people have got young children at home and perhaps we do need a sleeping aid like a sleeping pill for yeah. a few weeks just so we can get a little bit of a respite and so it's 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 so right you need to be ready don't you you need to have a certain amount of energy commitment for this process
1: and I think just making sure you're talking about it to to your doctor or your nurse and um and really having that whole toolkit so like you said it may it may be that there's a good medication that might just you know switch things up a bit that could help and I think people often don't mention sleep right, right to the end, actually. So even in, a, in menopause consultations, you often do the whole consultation. And at the end, someone will say, but my sleep hasn't got better. As lots of other things have, but my sleep hasn't got better. And it's really, if you flag this, there are things that are available and that can help. Mm. And, it, you know, although the answers aren't always quick, they are there.
0: Yeah. But I can now imagine if we just go to our normal GP with a sleep issue, And even if it was diagnosed with insomnia, then we would get the answers that you were unhappy with before you started out on your own quest. (laughs) And, And they might not be the whole picture of what you've just described to us. So can we access CBTI through our normal NHS GP practitioners or how does it work? Tell us how we can work it.
1: Yeah, so there it's definitely not easy to get the kind of one-to-one CBTI that I was talking about. But there are lots of good ways that you can do it. And some of them are easy to access on the NHS or or they're free and some of them aren't. So, for instance, there are some really amazing online programs that can take you through CBTI step-by-step. And they're called Sleepio or Sleep Station. And depending where you are in the country, I'm afraid it's one of these postcode things. They may be available free with your GP. So, for instance, Sleepio is available free for anyone in Scotland. Okay. And um, Macmillan actually have partnered with Sleepio, and it is now free for anyone in Scotland, but also anyone who had a cancer diagnosis. I think in the last eighteen months. So, mm-hmm. if you go on the Macmillan website, you can actually wow. find the the Sleepio sign up on there and it just shows you you know whereabouts and and when you were diagnosed to whether you're eligible for it um and then sleep station is something that again if you ask your gp they often have access to it for free if they don't they might be able to signpost you to the local kind of um it's called the improving access to psychological therapy iapt service that sometimes has cbti and again if still no luck there are books that can take you through it and actually is always harder if there's you know you haven't got someone directly supporting you, but the books yes. can be really good. Um yes. So there's there's something called understanding insomnia called by, by Kirsty Anderson, and there's also something called the One Week Sleep Cure by Jason Ellis. I may have got those titles slightly wrong, but they're really yeah. useful. They're really and they contain everything that I've said, they t- contain the steps that you need to take. And it can just be interesting looking at in a book, even if you know you don't do it all yourself, it can be a yes. bit helpful
0: as well. I think sometimes when I do things off an app, or when I do things out of a book, unless I'm really convinced, I don't perhaps give it my all because I'm not 100% sure it's going to have the benefits for me, do you know, then I'm a bit yeah. more flaky. But I hope that by everyone who's listened to you today, we really understand that this can work. Like I know it's a process, Absolutely. and we need to put a bit of effort in, a lot of effort in and it might be weird getting up in the middle of the night cleaning out your cutlery drawer (laughs) (laughs) but this can work because you have seen hundreds and hundreds of people and it's worked absolutely and so I hope that is going to help us stay a bit more committed in the process whereas I guess if you see patients in your clinic as a menopause specialist or through the your sleep clinic you are then the replacement for the book and the app is that right and yeah So normally the treatment is delivered by the specialist
1: psychologists that work for the Good Sleep Clinic. So they really are experts in this. And I think the key thing with that is it can help to have someone there giving you motivation. And so it would be a kind of weekly session like that. And that that can be really helpful. The other thing is, I think there is something about this that is important that you get to understand why these things work. So there is a little bit of kind of seek education or seek training in it so I always feel as though I'm taking someone you know to medical school when I, I'm talking to them but unless you really understand why these things are exactly as you said you don't really trust in them unless you understand the process so yeah. there's a bit always in the treatment and in the books that's about look this is how sleep works and this is why it's probably gone a bit wrong and this is why these techniques can help you and I think that's quite important to, to get that sort of understanding. Otherwise, it's like, why are you telling me to do these weird things? You know, why are you mm. telling me to go to bed later? Why are you telling me to get out of bed? It all seems really counterintuitive. It seems like no common sense at all. So there mm. is a little bit of that in there as well. And if you know, if you have a
0: one to one, you've got someone there explaining it to you as you go. Mm. What I think is um always much more difficult than addressing one issue is that obviously we have more symptoms I haven't ever spoken to anyone who's had a cancer diagnosis who's in menopause who's just got sleep there's usually something else going on and so it's always going back to I mean if I didn't check in with myself every other week and saying Danny how are you doing right now what's going on for you right now life gets the better of me and before I know it I've had a symptom of whatever it is for weeks before I do anything about it. And then those bad sleep habits can also just become worse because we just haven't paid attention to ourselves, isn't it? And I think
1: just from the sleep perspective, treating sleep. So one of the things that doctors used to be taught was that there was a kind of primary insomnia that just came out of the blue. And then there was a secondary insomnia that was caused by something else. And most Most of us, most of people who've had cancer or in menopause, it would come into the secondary insomnia because it was caused by a treatment or a side effect or a symptom. And the idea used to be that you needed to treat the cause. You know, you'd have to go, you'd if someone was depressed, you'd treat the depression or you'd treat the anxiety. And then hopefully the sleep would get better. As we've learned over years, that's not how it works. And actually, you don't need these side effects or the symptoms to go away before you treat the sleep particularly with things like depression and anxiety if you treat the sleep if you can get the sleep better actually it can often have a real knock-on effect on those other things so I would love to see that kind of rather than the sleep being pushed down well I'll deal with that later I'll deal with that when my hot brushes are a bit better or when yeah, i have this yeah. treatment it's like no, no no try and get on top of the sleep now because you might find that really helps you know loads of things can feel better if our sleep is better, so if, you know, we do feel less anxious, our mood is often better, even our sexual function, our libido will improve with more sleep. So, you know, I would love to, I think it's a core symptom, you know, not one just to lead to the end to
0: really focus on whenever you're yeah. experiencing it. And that's really hopeful, because I've often heard women who are on tamoxifen or an aromatase inhibitor, for example, say, well, nothing I'm going to do is ever going to make a difference as long as I'm on this medication. Yeah. But you've just said that you can really help it and it can really make a difference and you can change that sleep pattern. Yeah. That is so hopeful, Zoe. I feel really this is this is so great. I mean, all this, you know, all the conversations just I've had recently about people just thinking, well, that's just it. I just sleep terribly and that's just one of the things I have to put up with. It is so hopeful speaking to you. The
1: nice thing about you know i said about the brains they just learn this habit and that's it's really annoying because then it stops sleeping and it takes ages but the really nice thing is you can kind of relearn you can you know you can teach it and actually it doesn't take much to shift our brains into a kind of healthier space and that's a lot about what this treatment is doing so that's yeah it, we are good
0: at learning Thank you so much for being such an amazing campaigner on all menopause and sleep and just women's health in general, really. It's so fantastic much. to talk to you. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's been lovely to talk to you. She's absolutely brilliant, isn't she? Dr. Zoe Shaddell. What a powerhouse of a woman. What a really kind and compassionate doctor and Everything she said made so much sense, although I felt a little bit challenged in sort of what I would do intuitively, the things she say make total sense. And I think for me, the biggest takeaway would be if you wanted to address your sleep issues through something like cognitive behavior therapy for insomnia, whether that is with a private menopause specialist, whether that is through the Sleepy-O app, whether that is through asking your GP or buying the book like Zoe recommended, so many things of how we can sort of start this, is I think the biggest takeaway for me is to really believe that the process can work. Because once I change that in my head and once i really believe in something then i'm much more consistent with everything i'm doing i show up i'm more regular i pay more attention i really make it a priority and it sounds like this is what we have to do if we want to give this a really good shot i am um, really hope that if anything you now also believe there is something you can do if sleep has been an issue for you And if we can do that, if we can just bring that hope back to us that we can definitely tackle our sleep disturbances, our insomnia, then that's a wonderful feeling, isn't it? Doesn't mean we have to do something about it immediately, but it means there is something we can do should we feel ready to do so and ready to embark on this journey. And with that, I'm now going to turn off my laptop. For me, it's a quarter past one what day is it today even on a Thursday (laughs) quarter past one on a Thursday I'm going to take myself out on a walk and I'm really going to digest what Zoe said mull over all of her words and I'm going to put a few of the links she's mentioned to some of the resources in the show notes before I do so wishing you all the best and I can't wait to talk to you next week on the show